suffering, sadness, despair. We have all felt it. Let me share a little of my story. My name is Rachel Fields. I'm 38 and I'm married with two kids. While my life has been difficult, it no longer defines me. Now I see through a different perspective. I'm healthy, my husband is healthy, and our children are too. We're very fortunate. The road I've traveled to arrive here wasn't easy. It wasn't paved and by no means a straight shot, but I survived. Here's a little background. When I was four, my mother was involved in a car accident where she was paralyzed from waist down. It was actually on my fourth birthday, so as of August 31st, it was 34 years ago. I remember that day. I remember being at home, making a cake with a family friend that was watching me. Then my next memory is living with my grandparents for six months while my mom had surgery and rehabilitation. During that time, I was afraid. I was reminded that I would have nightmares and would cry every single night. I didn't know when I would see my mom again. As I got older, I felt like I had been cheated. While my friends were able to have fun and be free, I felt stuck at home. I had to age beyond my years. I had to help take care of my mom, almost as if I was the parent. On the surface, this could seem superficial, but it was truly painful. Even as an adult with my own kids, my mother can't come to the rescue when I need someone just to be there. As my mom was learning how to return to normalcy, we had family living with us in and out over the next couple of years. During that time, I was sexually abused from a family member over the course of several years. Because of this, I did not believe that anyone could see me other than how I saw myself. Broken, inconvenient, useless, and dirty. I didn't understand how anyone could love me. Because I had not developed any self-worth, the relationships I sought were unhealthy and some were abusive. I found myself in one bad relationship after another. I didn't trust anyone. How could I? That wreaked havoc on every relationship I had. I suffered from depression as well. I was a believer, but wondered sometimes if God truly loved me, why he would let me deal with so much hurt. I would pray sometimes for God to take my life. God, if you really cared for me, you would let me die and let me be at peace. I guess he does know best, and I'm thankful. I've always felt God near me, close to me. I just never knew what to do with it. I went to church as a child off and on. When I was in need and I really prayed hard, I can honestly say God was there to help me. Just because God doesn't give us what we want doesn't mean he isn't answering prayers. When we are scared, hurting, or experiencing loss, it's easy to blame God. I feel some of us turn to God only in time of need, and we need to just as often to give thanks to him. When I met my husband, I was still carrying all of this burden around with me. I remember the day I had told him I had decided to let it go to forgive myself and anyone who had hurt me, that the world didn't owe me anything for all of my suffering. I knew the Holy Spirit was knocking on my door and I had to seize the opportunity. I also prayed so hard for God to make Mike an active member of the church to let us grow together spiritually. We started coming to Community Christian Church from an invite from the Hicksons 
and we were baptized about a year later. Our lives together after letting go of my pain that I had experienced when I was a child, a teen, and as an adult, when I truly accepted Christ into my life, the change was mind-blowing. It was night and day. The saying, a family who prays together stays together, I believe that to be true. I believe by having God in our lives, we are stronger than ever. God has helped me be free. God knew the path I needed to be led down to make me who I am today. All the hurt to make me stronger. All the questions I had to make me turn to Him for the answers. The self-doubt to realize I am worth loving. My God loves me. My husband and children love me. And my church love me. We have the best church family ever. Kevin and Cindy are amazing people. They have helped me grow and have loved me. Jennifer Addington has been an amazing friend to me as well, listening to me and helping me grow spiritually. Knowing I have a girlfriend who is also a Christian sister is a wonderful feeling. Also, I know if I needed something, any one of you here would be there to help me. Let me ask you, if you've ever suffered from any one of these similar feelings or any type of pain and suffering that you haven't shared, please do so. Get it out. Let it go. Give it to God. You will feel free. Romans 5, 3-5 says, We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. So thankful to Rachel for sharing that testimony with us. It's not easy to share that kind of testimony, but praise the Lord for what he has done in Rachel's life. He has saved her. He is growing her. He is using her to his glory. And and interestingly, uh, Caleb, our youth minister, has invited Rachel and her husband, Mike, to be youth sponsors in our youth group. And uh, Rachel will be leading a group of middle school girls over these months to come. And I know that she has so much to uh, enrich their life, to, to love those girls and to lead them into a closer walk with Jesus. Mike is going to be leading a group of high school boys. I'm just thinking, when we turn our lives over to Jesus, He can bring change, He can bring peace, He can bring newness and wholeness. He is our only hope. Do you believe that? Well, I'm glad some of you do. Let me let me try that again. Would you would you respond? He is our only hope. Do you believe that? Thank you. He is. That's the truth. Uh, Dusty gave you an idea of where we're going today. I want to kind of give you an idea of where we're going over the next few weeks. Along with this question of why does God allow so much suffering and pain in this world, there will also be this continual theme or this continual encouragement to you to trust God. 
Trust God whatever comes your way, whatever suffering, whatever hardship comes your way, it is your need and responsibility to trust God and and my need and responsibility as well. We can be sure that suffering and pain and heartache is going to catch up with us. That's that's life. That's that's just a part of, of who we are as human beings. There are times in our journey that life gets very difficult. And it's so important that we trust God amidst the suffering. We are going to begin looking at the life of Joseph today. And as Dusty has mentioned earlier to you, today the challenge will be that we would trust God amidst family hardship, amidst dysfunctional families, which we are all a part of. Next week, we're going to talk about trusting God amidst temptation. The week after that, we're going to talk about trusting God amidst discouragement. These are, these are all things that we deal with in our life. We deal with family issues. We deal with temptation. We deal with discouragement. And we need to learn to trust God Whatever lot we have in life, whatever hand is dealt to us, that we would trust Him. And I know that's not an easy thing for us to do, but it is a necessary thing for us to do. And we live in a topsy-turvy world, and we we understand God is the one rock-solid thing that we can hold on to. So let me ask you this, how would you define a dysfunctional family? I looked up on the internet and found this, a dysfunctional family is one in which the relationships in that family are strained and unnatural. This is usually because one of the family members has a serious problem that impacts every other member of the family. Now, As I read through that article, which was quite lengthy, it talked about the fact that that this, this dysfunction can come from an alcoholic parent. It can come from an abusive parent. It can come from a parent who is a workaholic, a parent who doesn't work at all. There are lots and lots of factors that can lead to dysfunction in the home. And it doesn't necessarily have to lie within the parent who is causing the dysfunction. I think it can come from from any member of the family that is having a major issue. When one member of the family has an issue, everybody in the family is affected by that. Another source I looked at said this, a dysfunctional family is one that isn't functioning as God intended. God intended the family to be an oasis of security and love and harmony. A dysfunctional family, on the other hand, though, oftentimes there is insecurity there, there is loneliness, and there is disunity. I was texting Matt McGee, who is one of our members of the church and a Christian counselor here in town. I was asking him about dysfunctional families and he he echoed what Dusty said a little bit earlier that really all of us to one degree or another are from dysfunctional families and probably Cindy would say I'm the one who's dysfunctional in our family 
And she'd probably be right. I'm thinking, you know, I try my hardest to communicate to you on a Sunday morning to be clear in my communication. And sometimes she'll find that when I get home, I don't communicate very well to her. And she'll find out things uh, through a phone conversation that I'm having with somebody else. I haven't told her, and she'll find it out as I'm talking to somebody else on the telephone. Or maybe I've told one of the kids, and I haven't told her, and one of the kids will mention that to her, and she goes, oh, I didn't know about that. And then she'll turn to me, and she'll say, thanks a lot. You know, we all have some levels of dysfunction in the home. Some have a very high level of dysfunction. My question is, can a person grow up in a dysfunctional family and overcome that? And certainly the answer to that question is yes. Rachel is good evidence of that. You and I are evidence of that. We can, whatever level of dysfunction that we are dealing with, we can overcome it because God is greater than that dysfunction. God can bring healing into our lives. He can bring victory to us if we look to Him. Now, you talk about a dysfunctional family. I don't know whether it gets any more dysfunctional than Joseph's family. Let me remind you, his mother and his father, his father's name was Jacob. His mother's name was Rachel. And that's where the problems began. Rachel was his mother, but you may remember there were three other women married to Jacob all at the same time. I don't know what in the world Jacob was thinking. <laughs> and maybe he wasn't thinking. That, that was his problem. You have one husband and you have four wives. And you remember two of those wives are sisters. Rachel and Leah. Leah was the older of the two. Jacob was set to marry Rachel. He had arranged with the father-in-law, Laban, to work seven years for her. He did that. He then went into that marriage relationship, or I should say, into that honeymoon night. He went into the tent to consummate the marriage. It was dark, and he didn't realize it until the next morning when the sun comes up. He awakens, and he's looking into the face of Leah, not Rachel. Quite a shock, I'm sure. (laughs) He wanted to have a word with his father-in-law. I'm not surprised about that. I'm wondering if I, I probably would have wanted to have more than a word with him. Do you remember what Laban's response to Joseph was, or to Jacob? He said, uh, we, it's not our custom to give away the younger before we give away the older. And so, Jacob got Leah as his wife, number one wife. And he worked out a deal with Laban for Rachel. 
He would get through his week of honeymoon with Leah, and then he would have Rachel as number two wife, but he'd have to work for her for another seven years. You talk about sister rivalry. These two girls were not fond of each other. They were competing for Jacob's love, but unfortunately for Leah, she was always on the short end of the stick. It was obvious that Jacob loved Rachel more than what he loved Leah, and he made that very clear to everyone, including Rachel and Leah. Well, that hurt Leah. And, and it hurt even more for Rachel to rub it into Leah. And so when Leah began to have children from Jacob, and Rachel wasn't able to have children, Leah turned around and she began to rub that into Rachel. And these two gals, they were like two cats that had their tails tied together and they're hung over the the clothesline pole. They have togetherness, but they are scratching and they are clawing and they are bickering and they have so much meanness towards one another. Well, Rachel had a plan. She wasn't able to have children, so she's recruiting her handmaiden, Bilhah, to be married to Jacob, to be a third wife to him, and maybe she can have children in her name, in Rachel's name. Does that help the situation? No, that complicates the situation. Now there were three wives trying to get Jacob's attention. And there are children being born, but not to Rachel. Eventually, as you read through this story, eventually Leah gets her handmaiden in on the party too. She arranges for her handmaiden, Zilpah, to become a fourth wife for Jacob. And by this time, Jacob is like a pawn and he's being bounced around by four different women. He doesn't know which way is up. He's tired. He's worn out. He can't keep up with these women. He's just trying to keep them from killing each other. Well, Rachel eventually begins to have children too. She has two children, Joseph and Benjamin. And by the time it's all over with, there are 12 sons and there are daughters as well. We don't know how many of them. This many children by four different women to Jacob Do you know what all of this spells? It spells trouble. T-R-O-U-B-L-E. In fact, it spells double trouble. But this is just the start of the dysfunction. Follow along with me. Jacob has all kinds of father-in-law troubles. Can you imagine that? He has so much trouble with Laban that he decides to move away. And any time, if you've ever been involved in a move yourself, you know what kind of stress that can bring to the family. He is uprooting everything that he has. And by this time, Jacob has become a very rich man. He has all kinds of camels and and sheep and goats and and donkeys. He has so many possessions. He is known around that part of the country for being 
very rich, and he uproots it all, and he moves his entire family, that big family, away from Laban. That added more dysfunction to the family. But that wasn't all. Somewhere along the line, Reuben, his oldest son, you remember, slept with Bilhah, one of Jacob's wives. In other words, Reuben committed incest with his stepmother. And Jacob found out about it. What did Jacob do about it? Jacob did absolutely nothing about it. He put his head in the sand. He closed his eyes. He ignored that problem. He did not address it. If Jacob knew about it, you know the rest of the family knew about it. And no one was dealing with it. It just was swept under the carpet. And there was more dysfunction added to the family. But this is only the beginning. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 34. Dinah, one of Jacob's daughters, was raped by a fellow named Shechem. And what did Jacob do about that? He did the same thing that he did before when Reuben got out of order. He closed his eyes. He, he ignored the situation. But the rest of the family didn't ignore the situation. There was so much pain in this family. There was so much sadness and anger and bitterness. It was already a boiling pot. And to make a long story short, two of Dinah's brothers, Simeon and Levi, they went out and they took revenge for their sister. Not only did they kill Shechem, but they brutally and unmercifully killed every male in the community in which Shechem lived. It was a bloody massacre. And the rest of the brothers got in on the looting of the city, including taking all of the women and children for themselves. The dysfunction of this family was heaped upon more and more and more. And add to that the the death of Rachel, Joseph's mother. She died as she gave birth to her second son, Benjamin. And so we have grief that is being dealt with here. There was more death as well. Grandpa Isaac passed away. More grief. And I'm imagining that they are not dealing with their grief very well. It just added to their dysfunction. Genesis chapter 38 tells us of more incest and more death. Judah, the fourth brother, he's old enough now that he's married and he has kids and and his kids have grown up and and got married and, and that son of Judah dies. And you read the story, I mean, nothing is held back in the book of Genesis. Judah ends up sleeping with a prostitute and the prostitute ends up being his daughter-in-law. Wow. I told you, this family was full of dysfunction. Let me read to you verse 37 or chapter 37 of Genesis, verse 2. These are the records of the generations of Jacob, Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pastoring 
the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. And so you have all of these other issues that I've described to you. Now you have animosity between the brothers towards Joseph. He's tattling on them to their father, and they don't like it. Obviously, you've picked up on the fact that these brothers are not angels. They are some pretty bad guys. And now Joseph is an informant to their father about them. And so they grumble among themselves, and they plant this into the back of their mind. They someday will get revenge against him. Let me read to you verses 3 and 4. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him, very, made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. There is more trouble brewing. And Jacob is helping to bring this trouble on. He makes no effort to hide his feelings. He loves Joseph more than he loves all of the other boys. And so that makes the other boys matter and matter. And one day they are going to get even with their younger brother. And their feelings are magnified when Joseph has these dreams, he has two dreams, and he relays those dreams to his brothers. Those dreams included his brothers bowing down to him. Now, I don't know if Joseph was naive or if he was just foolish in telling his brothers these dreams, but it was like throwing fuel onto a fire that was already burning hot. This younger brother had to be dealt with. And so the day came that they got their chance. Joseph was 17 years old and he was sent on a mission by his father. His father said, go find your brothers who are taking care of the sheep and make sure they're okay. And I think an underlying message was this, make sure they're behaving themselves. And here, take some food with you. For them. And so Joseph went, and little did he know that when he left his father, he would not see his face again for 13 years. And many of you know the story. You can read it in Genesis chapter 37. His brothers saw him coming, and so they plotted against him. First, they were going to drop him into a pit and leave him there, but then a caravan of of Ishmaelites came heading for Egypt and so they raised him up out of the pit and they sold him as a slave and off he went to Egypt like a caged animal he he went from being a favored son to a lowly slave in one day and the brothers thought they could wash their hands of Joseph they thought they could forget about him and they would never see him again they thought What a horrifying experience for Joseph. And the question I want to ask you is this. 
Can we overcome a dysfunctional family? Let me give to you this statement, and you mark it down in your mind. It's difficult to be faithful to God if you are reared in a dysfunctional home, but it is possible. You get that? It's difficult to be faithful to God if you are raised in a dysfunctional home, but it is possible. What's your situation? Maybe you've grown up in an abusive home, a divisive or unbelieving family, and those, those early impressions have left scars of insecurity or self-hatred or doubt that are not easy for you to overcome. Maybe bitterness is a problem for you. Maybe you've not had anyone model for you how to love or how to communicate or or how to be a, a good mom or how to be a good dad to your children. It's hard, you say, and I'm sure it is hard. But I am saying to you that you do not have to give in to the temptation of just falling into how it has always been. You don't have to succumb to the mold that Satan wants you to fit into. You can overcome the difficult circumstances with God's help. Joseph did. All of these circumstances that I've described to you that are unimaginable for most of us, Joseph was able to overcome those circumstances. I can't hardly imagine the the despair, the horror, the loneliness, the temptation to be bitter towards his brothers that he must have felt as days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months and months turned into years. But Joseph refused to let the circumstances control him. He held on to God. He trusted in God. And eventually, he became the prime minister over all of Egypt. He became the second most powerful man in the world. We do not have to give in to the pressure of a dysfunctional family. We can rise above it. We can be an overcomer. Romans chapter 8 says that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Matthew chapter 19 says, With God all things are possible. Genesis chapter 18, ask a question. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? And Luke answers that question, chapter 1, For nothing will be impossible with God. You can win over whatever circumstances you have been raised with. Amazingly, my mom's story has some similarities to Joseph's story. I've I've never shared these, these things with the church family. She was raised in a very dysfunctional family in Kentucky. Her dad's first wife had died, leaving him to raise six boys on his own and two girls. It was a struggle for him, as you might imagine. So there was some point there in that journey that three of those kids were farmed out to other people. 
for them to raise. He, could, he couldn't raise such a large family by himself. It wasn't that he didn't love them. He did love them. He just couldn't do it by himself. And he had a, he had a business to run. He was trying to put food on the table. Life was very hard for William Yancey. Well, my mom's mom had a hard road too. Her first husband died as well. And she was trying to raise three boys on her own. And you know where this story is going. William Yancey and Opal Hayden met together and they fell in love. At least they, I, don't, I suppose they fell in love or they needed one another. <laughs> and they got married bringing all of those kids together into one family, 11 kids. And my mom was the one child born from that new union, making it an even dozen. And my mom, as I was talking with her on the phone this last week, just to remind myself of the details and what she has told me, she said all through the years of her growing up, she was accused by her brothers and her sisters of being the favored child. that sound familiar to the story of Joseph? And she said some of the things that she remembers happening in that household is absolutely shocking. The sibling rivalry, one side of the family against the other side, particularly the boys, my mom said. She said they never, ever did accept one another. They fought, they bickered, they were jealous, they were bitter. They were mean to each other. She said, really, her dad never did accept her mom's boys into his own family. And eventually, he made them leave the house. Now, I'm sure that helped the marriage a lot. But his kids weren't angels by any stretch of the imagination. There was a drinking problem amongst the boys. The older son died from alcohol abuse, my mom said. Another half-brother, Charles, was completely out of control. Every time as my mom would, would receive a cat as a pet and she would leave the house, maybe for school or whatever, when she'd come back, the, the cat would be dead. Because her older brother, Charles, had a thing for killing cats. Her mom and dad knew what, was, what he was doing and they didn't do a thing about it. They, they left him alone. They let him do what he wanted. She remembers after Charles got married, he and his wife lived right across the street from where she grew up. She remembers multiple times Charles' wife running over to their house to save herself from her husband because he was drunk and completely out of control. She remembers the, the times when he would leave for a week or two weeks at a time and leave his wife, and she's, she's hearing the talk that he's out with another woman. She remembers that multiple times as a child growing up. She remembers Charles chasing his wife over to the house with a butcher knife in hand. And, and the dad gets her in the house and locks the door. And there's a commotion at the door from Charles. 
Can you imagine my mom as a little girl growing up in all of this and the fear and the chaos that she felt inside? She remembers Charles firing shots from across the street at his wife. I said, Mom, did, did the sheriff ever come? Did the police ever come? No, nobody ever called the police. Nobody was willing to stand up to Charles. She remembers the day that he ended up with a bullet right here between his eyes in their driveway, dead. I don't know if it was a suicide or a gun accident, no, but, but everybody knew what Charles was there for with that gun in hand. He'd come after his wife. I mean, you talk about a dysfunctional family. And yet I'm looking at my mom and how she survived that and I'm, I'm seeing the grace of God. The grace of God poured forth upon my mom. She said getting married and moving out of the house and getting connected with a, a more stable family, the Moyer side of the family, she said that was her salvation. She moved away to St. Louis with her new husband and my dad's mom took her underneath her wing and mentored her in the faith and taught her about being a wife and about being a mother. And I'm thinking, only by the grace of God did she survive that. Whatever dysfunction that you have faced in your present or in your past, whatever baggage that you are dealing with and carrying, God's grace is bigger and greater and His healing power can be yours. The question is, will you trust Him? Will you trust Him? Will you give your life to Him? Will you bring to Him your baggage and your dysfunction? Will you let Him heal you and give you His peace? Listen, He has a plan for you. And I don't want you to miss that plan that He has for you. Let me share with you what the plan is. It's from the pen of Jeremiah. It's from God's lips himself. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Brother and sister, don't miss that plan that God has for you. Let's pray together. I thank you, Father, for saving my mom from a dysfunctional family. I thank you for your amazing grace. I pray for ones here today who have dysfunction in their home, whether it be to a lesser degree or a greater degree. 
Lord, there is no difficulty that is too great for you. May we turn to you. May we trust you. And thank you that your arms are open wide to us. And that you can take chaos and confusion and you can make something absolutely beautiful out of it. In Jesus' name, amen. He can take your life full of sin and darkness and he can bring light to you and hope if you'll trust him let's stand together